Welcome to For the Love Podcast with best-selling author Jen Hatmaker. Come on in and join us for a chat with Jen and friends about all the things we love. Now, here's Jen. Hey, everybody. It's Jen. Welcome to the podcast. This is the For the Love Podcast, and I'm glad to have you this week. Glad to have you every week. Thanks for joining in. Um, We're in the middle of a series that I love so much that I extended it. It's called For the Love of Moxie. And it's sort of this, we're taking the idea out of the book that I just wrote of Mess and Moxie, this uh, this sort of concept of, of women who are fierce and strong and brave and um and, and interesting and smart and building beautiful things and beautiful spaces and beautiful organizations and companies and um, ministries and and learning from them and without question every one of them has this twin story of having all this moxie but having all this mess because these things go together they are inseparable and so um, it, and it's actually the mess that often leads to the moxie so I can't think of a better guest than my friend that I'm having on today um, to talk to us about these ideas and what it looks like to rise back up and to be strong and to be courageous. So um, my my dear friend, Glennon Doyle, is on the podcast today. And you probably know Glennon. Um, if you don't, let me just tell you a little bit about her before we start our conversation. So um, Glennon is a writer, a really good writer, really, really good. She's a writer's writer. Um, and she's number one New York Times bestselling author. Um, her book Love Warrior came out last year. It was um, an Oprah's book club book. So she has sat down with Oprah um, and they text each other because what is what is life? I don't know. Um and Carry On Warrior before that. And she has this beautiful online space that she founded years ago called Momastery and sort of her her website and her blog and her her gathering point, um, her online community. It reaches millions of people every week. And, um, and then out of that, she created this nonprofit that we're going to talk about called Together Rising that's donated over $7 million um, to really important work here in the United States and all around the world. Um, she does it through what she calls love flash mobs. Probably a ton of you have been a part of them they're powerful and it's every time I cry my eyes out because it's this idea of what a whole group of people can do when everyone just does a small piece. We'll talk about it. It's it's phenomenal, phenomenal work. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard Glennon speak, but she's just she's just gifted at it. She's just communication is the these are the cards she was dealt. She's just so powerful and she's all over the place um, as a public speaker and um, she's been she's been everywhere. The Today Show and the talk and Oprah's network and NPR and and she's in every sort of outlet too, like New York Times and Glamour, Parents Magazine, Newsweek, all of it. Um, this this fall, she and her so a bunch of her people are going on a tour called the Together Tour, and it's a ten city tour made up of really diverse women. I mean, in every possible way, and they're all um, full of moxie. 
every last one of them. I am, in fact, going to join Glennon and her crew when they come to Austin. I'll be on the Austin stop with them, which is in, uh, let's see, I think it's October 3rd. Super excited about that, just to learn from them and hear from them and um, and listen to their stories of, um, of courage and bravery. And so she's just wise and... And I think she's not afraid and she tells the truth a lot and um, it, it makes people, it moves people, it freaks people out. Um, but I am drawn to women who tell the truth. I'm drawn to women who stand on their own two feet. I'm drawn to women um, who lead with love and Glennon leads with love. And that's a fact. So um, this conversation is chock full, you guys, of depth and of wisdom and of instruction and plenty of laughter. And so I know you're going to enjoy it. And I um, I really hope that some moment in our conversation today is useful to you, that you're able to walk away with something that um, you can apply, that you can think over, that you can discuss with your people. And um, in fact, I know they're going to. So um, guys, without any further ado, I want you to um, listen in to my conversation with my dear friend, Glennon Doyle. Okay, everybody, please welcome my my girl, Glennon. Hey, hi. Good morning. Jen. Hi. I can't believe I'm hearing your voice. This is so good. It's so good. I I guess we'll just go ahead and record the podcast and put it up. But frankly, I just I feel like I'm talking on the phone to you and I'm glad about it. I know. I know. And I'm so bad at keeping in touch with people that I if I want to keep in touch with my friends, it has to be on a podcast. <laughs> so here we go. Right. Like maybe we could do a, an event together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then we'll end up seeing each other. I know exactly what you mean. I'm terrible. I'm sure you've seen me post um, pictures of how many at all times unread texts I have at oh, all times. Same. Oh my God. It, it stresses people. It gives people anxiety when they pick up my phone. Yes. And and then the irony is the only thing I'll do is text people. Like when people call okay, me, right. it scares the bejesus out of me. Like it makes me feel like a, a boundary has been violated. Like why would you use a phone to call someone? I know. It's like a, it feels assaulting. Yes. Like, do you, are you, do you hate me? Aggressive. Do you even know me? Aggressive. Yes. yes I know. Yes. So I'm the same way. But the thing is like, I think about me and you and we've been friends now for years. It's, we could just, we could pick up on a dime in a moment. So yeah. it doesn't matter. And I'm yeah. not a needy friend and neither are you. No, that's so, what I need. I need friends who are not needy. And yes, exactly. I'm good in an emergency, man. When my friends need me, I'm there, but not, a, not again for seven years. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Call me if you need help, right. but not like a coffee date. Right. Okay. <laughs> we struggle in the dailiness of it all, right. but crisis, we're your girls. Um, so I know this is going to air just a teeny bit later, but you are actually at your sister's right now because you've been evacuated from your state. And yeah. Yeah. World. Yeah. So my Irma, Irma Gerd, <laughs> Irma Gerd is on its way to Florida and it's going to ravage the state. So, so when people hear this, we yeah. will know what the damage was. Um, so yeah, just thinking about everybody there and you know, this is one of those, we prepared the way we could and now it's time to surrender. Yeah. And the beauty of being someone whose life's fallen apart and been rebuilt Mm -hmm. a million and a half times is that it it always gets better. 
It does. And, and it, it builds in resiliency for the next thing, for the next right. time. Was it a zoo getting out of the state? Was it, was it, was everything jammed and crazy? Yeah. And you know, I mean, traveling with all these trillions of children I have, right. I mean, there's three of them, but it feels like there's 40, um, mm-hmm. is, is always great fun anyway. So sure. <laughs> under emergency circumstances, Jen, it's just that much better. Right. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a good, just calm, good, peaceful mm-hmm. three days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just the ethos in the cars, this very Zen. Uh-huh. I know. I know what you mean. Totally. Yeah, I have yeah. five, of course, which feels like five million. And uh-huh. it's so funny because you know what? Your kids are just like this. I don't have one child with a, a, a like a quiet bone in their body. Do you know what I mean? Like, are you, are you ever around um, a family with quiet children? Isn't it confusing? Yeah. I mean, I just assume they're they're all heavily medicated. I don't know. That's why I'm quiet when I'm quiet. <laughs> On those days. <laughs> it's so yeah. true. Like, um, I, I, we thought we might get a quiet child uh, through adoption because, mm-hmm. you know, our, our genetics are not going to provide the raw material. Right. And so uh, Remy acted actually really subdued and quiet. She barely said a word the first time we ever met her the first couple of times over in Ethiopia in her orphanage. And I was like, do you know what, Brandon? We, I believe are about to get a, we're going to get a quiet child. That is, (laughs) we are. I I think, but now of course, what we know is she was just simply terrified. So that was real short lived. And uh, like the amount of words that comes out of her mouth hole on a daily basis, it oh, would just God. it would just lay you to waste. Just I mean, wear you down, don't they? So the they so can. the moral of the story is, if we can just keep them terrified all the time, <laughs> you've picked up on the exact thread. That's Great. it. And maybe they'd be quieter. That's right. right. So a household of terror is it's what. So we're true. Going for. You know, when I was talking to Brene a few weeks ago, she was saying that shame is a terrible tool um, to parent. But I'm like, yeah, but it works. Yeah. Like it sometimes it makes them quiet. So I'm still sorting through that advice. Yeah. And it's a balance, right? Because I mean, I used to be a teacher and I remember actually, you know, there were some kids who were so rigidly well behaved and it looks like a good thing on the surface, but it's often not. It's because those are the kids who are afraid to ask questions and afraid that they, if they're going to step out of line. That, you know, all hell's going to break loose. So my kids are definitely not living a life of fear. (laughs) I'll tell you that much. I'm going to also take that silver lining you just threw threw to me. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. If your kids are poorly behaved, it just Uh means that you're an amazing parent. (laughs) I received that and I'm just going to, we're going to say that that's true. Um, So... You, I mean, what a year. You've had such a year. It's been really fun to watch you. Really um, just amazing to sort of see your your leadership and your voice, um, your space, just not only just rise, but what looks like to me get a little sharper, a little bit more clear. I, it's It feels like to me, looking in, that you you've kind of, you found the lane that you're to run in and you're running hard. And I like it. I'm proud of you. How, mm. what, talk, talk to us about just this last year, because it's been amazing. I mean, your book went just obviously to the top of the charts. You met your friends with Oprah now. Like, what are we doing? What's <laughs> happening? Why do you have Oprah's number in your phone? I need to explain this. 
Oh my God. Talk about this to us. Talk to us about Oprah. Talk to us about your book. Talk to us about this last year. Yeah. I mean, well, God, the book is like, feels like ages ago because of everything that's happened since the book. I mean, listen, the truth is that, that, that Love Warrior was a book about, you know, the implosion of my marriage when I found out that my husband had been unfaithful throughout our entire marriage. Um, and the, the, the aftermath of that, which is just that everything that I thought I knew kind of crumbled around me Mm. and, that is a crisis, right? So crisis, we all want to avoid it. But what it literally means is to sift, right? right? So like a child who holds up a one of those sand things and watches all the sand fall away, hoping that there'll be treasure left over. So that's what crisis does. It forces us to hold our lives in front of us and just watch all the things we thought we needed mm. fall away to find out what's left over. And so what was left over, I mean, Jen, when when I found out that my husband had been unfaithful my whole life, I had built my entire identity around my relationships and what right. I did, right? So I was a wife. I was yep. the m- mommy of these three little perfectly well-adjusted children in this yep. nuclear family. I was a freaking relationship expert, Jen. Yes. I yes. figured that was going to be a tough sell, right? <laughs> like, who, that, wow, that might be a bridge too far. We might need to workshop that one. Even for my yeah. forgiving people, like this person yeah. did not even know what was going mm-hmm. on in her own home. So. Right. But the beauty of that time is that it all got ripped away from me. So I think we end up like these little Russian nesting dolls, right? We just put on all these costumes, Mm. bigger and bigger and bigger, hoping that will be impressive. And then the problem is we get hidden inside of all of these labels and Mm. costumes. And then something happens usually around our 40s. I mean, it's Yeah, is that the thing? Yeah. Yes, it is. Because in our 20s and our 30s, we think that growing up is becoming things. Hmm. Right. I mean, when I got sober, I was like, how do I become a woman? I guess I have to be an upstanding citizen now. So I guess I'll become things. I'll become a mom. I'll become a Hmm. wife. I'll become a freaking PTA person. I'll become a writer. I'll become an activist. And then all this, then in your forties, something happens and it's like an eviction from your life. It's Hmm. the diagnosis. It's the betrayal, the phone call. Um, it's the thing that happens that evicts you from your life. And you realize that real growing up is unbecoming. Mm. it's taking off all those Russian nesting dolls till you get back to that little solid thing that is, is who you were when you were born and is the thing no one can take from me, from you. So can you talk about that a little bit? I'd like to hear you say more about that. The, the unpacking part, what, what do you think that looks like? So I just know that as you're saying that there's so many women hearing that thinking, uh huh, that they know that they know the call, the crisis, the event, the diagnosis, that is always pretty clear. It's mm-hmm. circumstantial, you know, usually, mm-hmm. but what about then? Like, talk about what you do after that. I mean, it's just, it's, it's so messy and chaotic and yeah. how do you press into that instead of like avoid it or skirt it or deny it? Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, I think what happened for me is that when I, I mean, the first half of my life, I was an addict, right? So I was just a bad girl. I was so good at being bad. I just um, drank too much and I did drug, all of it. Um, And when I got sober, I found out I was pregnant on Mother's Day um, 15 years ago. My 15-year-old is now in the kitchen in the next room. Put a pin in that because we're going to talk about teenagers in a minute. Oh, God help us. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then I decided, okay, um, maybe instead of being bad, I'll be good. Hmm. Right? Maybe, you know, I was sitting on the bathroom floor holding that positive pregnancy test and I thought, okay, maybe this is my last 
mm-hmm. invitation to show up for life. So now mm-hmm. I'll just be good. I'm going to be sure. a good mom. I'm going to be a good wife. I'm going to be a good Christian. I'm going to be. And then this thing happened with my husband. And I was like, oh my God, being good didn't even work. Mm-hmm. Being good didn't even work. Right. So I'm trying so hard. And every woman knows this. God, we try so hard to be the perfect right. this, the perfect that. I was talking to my friend Liz, you, you know, Liz Gilbert yep. one day, and she said, we have this quote we say to each other when we're doing our, our activism work at Steinbeck. And and she says, now that you're done being perfect, um, Liz would say to me, now that you're done being perfect, you we can be good. Mm. And so when we talked oh after gosh, that. I love that. Yeah. But then when we talked after that, this thing happened to me. Liz and, and, and Rob Bell's wife said said to me, to us, what if now that we're done being good, we can be free? Oh, let's take it up a notch. And so I mm. thought this this opportunity to learn, being bad didn't work for me, but being mm. good didn't work for me either. And the beauty of that time is that I could stop trying to match culture's um, ideas of what the perfect woman and the perfect mm. wife were. And it, I just, it went back to me and God. Because Jen, during that time, you know, I mean, we were talking during that time. Everybody had a freaking opinion for me of what I should do. Oh my gosh. You know, I understand this so deeply. And so I learned really quickly that the only way that I was going to be sane during that time and do the next, do the precise thing that was right for me was to shut out all the voices Hmm. on the outside and go inside where that voice inside is that, that, that I call God. And I think you call Mm -hmm. God and some people call wisdom and some people call mm-hmm. intuition. I don't think yeah. it matters what you call it, but I think everything depends on that you call it, mm. right? That you know how to go inside and hear that still small voice that will always tell you what the next right thing to do is. Because as women, we are trained to not go inside. We yeah. are consensus takers. We will ask every freaking buddy what so we should true. do. We will well, trust then, the internet before we'll trust our deep selves. Right. Like Brenda from North Dakota. Right. What do you think? Right. Jen, um, Jen, one night I found myself Googling, what should I do if my husband has cheated on me for 10 years? If you are a woman who finds yourself Googling what you should do in any given situation, you are a woman who needs to be still and listen for God. That's um, so relatable. And I don't know why that is. I think that I think that somehow partners up with the narrative that we've been probably fed the majority of our life as women specifically, which is um, also we are here to please the people around us and make them feel comfortable. So, you know, at the same time that we are looking to everybody else for affirmation or for guidance or for advice, it, it's this weird tension, this internal pressure to... Uh, do what they say, to want them to be pleased with our choices, to want them to put their stamp of approval on the path that we choose. But of course, as you so exactly mentioned, with 50 different paths coming at you, you that's impossible. You cannot please them all. And so do you find like, what would you say, what, what would be some really good tangible steps for that process for the process of, okay, I need to, I need to close down all these different pipelines into my heart, into my soul, into my mind. I need to be still, I need to be quiet. I need to listen. Practically, how would you say, here are a a couple of things to do to at least aid the process? Right. So, I mean, you and I both know, Jen, that the only advice that is worth 
hearing is you already know. Nobody else knows what the heck you should do next with your life. We have got to stop asking people for directions who have never been where we're going, right? So for me, what it meant during that time is that I had to find five minutes a day just to be really quiet. And listen, Jen, the reason why people don't do that, the reason why people don't get quiet is because quiet is the hardest place to be on earth because the truth is in the quiet and the truth is always hard and it's always scary and it's easier just to pretend we don't know what's there. Great. Oh, it's the truest thing. Yeah. So, so, you know, I think my life as an addict helped me with this so much because I really think helped me know this because, you know, addiction is a hiding place, right? It's a hiding from the truth. So the truth of life is love and pain. That's it. And addicts are sensitive people who early on decide that we're too weak to handle the pain and love of life, like the brutal, the brutal experience of being a human being and the beautiful experience of being a human, you know? Um, and so we hide inside of addiction. And, and when I came out of that, I realized, oh, the lie is not that life is hard. Life is hard as bloody hell. Like life is so painful. Um, but the, the lie was that I was too weak to handle it. Ah, nice. Right. That was the lie. We are, life is painful. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember Jen, this one day I had recently, I was just talking about, um, where my, sister called me and she said, Glennon, it's time for the baby to be born, her little girl. Mm. And I thought, oh my God, I got, got ready to get on a plane. And my grandma called, I'm, I'm sorry, my mom called mm-hmm. 20 minutes later. And she was like, Glennon, time's running out. Grandma's dying. Get on a plane and come to Ohio. Long story short, during that day, I said goodbye to my grandmother, held her hand, had nothing good to say, even though I'm a writer, just held her hand and cried, then got on a plane and flew to Virginia, held my baby niece for the first time. My mm-hmm. grandmother's name was Alice Flaherty. Yeah. My niece's name is Alice Flaherty. Mm-hmm. And I just remember thinking, oh my God, this is life. Mm-hmm. It is this brutal. We will lose people. Mm-hmm. It's true. That's mm-hmm. what's in the quiet. Yeah. Right? Is how hard and painful life is. But there's this big and yet. This mm-hmm. baby said to me, and yet life goes on. And yet life is this mm-hmm. brutal, beautiful also. And the brutal doesn't break us because the beautiful sustains us, right? It does. Yeah. So, so the secret to me of life is this idea of the quiet, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. we are so afraid of the truth. We are so afraid of what's in the stillness that we will use whatever is within our reach to avoid it. So that's Mm -hmm. booze. That's drinking. That's the, you know, the third glass of wine that just takes the edge off. That's Mm -hmm. a, that third glass of wine that takes the edge off is your fear of the, of the stillness, Mm -hmm. right? The TV, the internet, the over shopping, the unkindness, right? All unkindness is, is somebody has just experienced the pain and then they think it's a hot potato, right? They don't know how Mm -hmm. to be still with it. So they just pass it on to the next person. Mm -hmm. Uh, the the scroll 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 that's just our avoidance of the stillness of what's going to be there right mm. so um you know i don't know i'm a person who the first half of my life i ran from pain 
like it was my goal in life to yeah. numb numb it all out. And the second half of my life, I do the exact opposite. Mm. Because I think that we're afraid of the wrong things. We're afraid of pain. But what we should be afraid of is all of the things that we use to avoid pain. That's good. Because when we avoid pain, we press all those easy buttons to get ourselves out of the pain. Um, We miss all of our transformation because everything that we need to become the women we were meant to be next is inside Mm. the pain of now. It is. It's true. Anybody telling the truth was going to agree with that, that most of us can chart seasons of our most intense growth or transformation or deep internal change. And it is in the wake of pain and recovery. And, and it's beautiful. I mean, it really is. I mean, there is, there's not a substitute for it. And it's not that we wish pain on one another and ourselves. It's just that that's life. And I think another, I think another real enemy to this, um, to, to this idea of, sitting truthfully in that pain, letting it teach us what it's going to teach us, experiencing it and telling the truth about that. And then rising back up and recovering is, is another idea that I see women buy into often, which is that pain in one way or another is an indictment on us. Like we've done something (laughs) wrong. Do you know what I mean? We're doing something wrong. We've, yeah. we've not parented correctly because otherwise this would never happen. We, something was wrong in the, in our, in the, in our it's soul, which is why our marriage is hard um, right. or just whatever, right. like we're, we're doing life wrong. And so there's this um, idea that hovers over it. That's just based in shame. And so I think some of that avoidance is this fake idea that pain equals shame because we're doing life wrong. But the fact is we're do we're just doing life. We're That's all right. in it. This is the same. Everybody's got the same story. Right. It's bananas. And the funniest thing, Jen, is that well yes, first of all, that we believe that that life is easy. That life is supposed to be easy. And so if it's hard, we're doing it wrong. Yeah. It's hilarious because we would never we, we know that life is hardest, that relationships are hardest, work is hardest all of it is hardest for people who are doing it right, who are yeah. showing up and making themselves vulnerable, God, falling down true. and trying again and getting back up. It doesn't look pretty for the people who are doing it right. It never has and it never will. Right? You know what's interesting about that? As I as I hear you say that, and I think that's absolutely true, I'm, I'm doing a mental Rolodex of my heroes mm-hmm. and my mentors, and they're just in the mess of it all. I mean, they're just in the, everything's just a mess. Yep. And I don't, I'd like to hear you talk about this too, um, because you've had experience here as well. I think there's um, a special gear for this uh, nonsense within the Christian community because (laughs) in addition to saying um, pain means you're doing something wrong, there's this um, idea of living uh, within a certain set of rules, within Mm -hmm. a system, within a framework that's going to guarantee you a certain life, right? This You do this, this, and this right, I mean capital R, Mm-hmm. right, do it right in the right way that the right people think is right. And then, I mean, you're just obviously going to get this beautiful life handed back to you. And so it's this spiritual layer on top of the whole thing that we just talked about that makes it worse. Do you agree? Uh, of course. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, religion's job is to say to people, I, we will keep you safe from life. Yeah. 
Jesus is what Jesus said is I will bring you life to the fullest. I mean, it is so hilarious that Christian people of all people would have this idea that life is not supposed to hurt. This right. is the religion that <laughs> professes to follow a man who literally walked to his own yeah. crucifixion. That's right. Right? So this is a man who the night before he was crucified, Peter walks up to him and says, okay, Jesus, just figured it out. Mm-hmm. Right? You're about to be crucified. You're God. We don't have to, hit, to, to deal with this. Let's run. Yeah. Okay? So this was Peter holding out the easy button. Yeah. It doesn't have to hurt. It doesn't have to hurt. Life does not have to hurt this bad. Right. You can find your way out of it if you want to. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, get behind me. That cross is meant for me, right? There is no glory to any of this story except through straight through the pain. Yes, exactly. It's first the pain, then the rising. That's the that's it's the, the pattern gospel. of life. It's yeah. the gospel. <laughs> right. It's what we profess to follow, and it yeah. is inherently different than religion. It it is um, their enemies, actually. Yes, <laughs> their yes. enemies. Yes, religion enemies. will keep you safe, and Jesus will get you killed. Yeah, he will. Right. So, um, I don't know. I mean, you can pick one or the other, but you often can't pick both. Right. So, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I think. Know. If you're not, if you're trying to stay safe from life and anyway, you wanted to get to my story. So I, um, yeah, I mean this process of love warrior, I think what it taught me, Brene told me that she was, um, handing love warrior to somebody and somebody said, what is this a book about? And Brene said, when I started reading and I thought it was a book about trust inside of a marriage, Mm. I still think it's a book about trust, but I actually think it's about one woman learning to trust herself. Mm -hmm. That feels right. It's an excellent assessment. It's so weird that Brene could be right about something. I know. It's so weird. Yeah. She's so dumb. She gets a couple she, things right every so yeah. often. You could only figure a few things out. Right. Um, so so I, I agree with that. Um, I really deeply agree with that. I think that it all comes down to being as simple as learning to sit in the stillness and listen for God mm. to reveal the next right thing. Right. I don't know why God can't just give us the freaking five-year plan. I've begged God never. Has God ever given you any sort of five-year plan? It's always just the next right thing. That's so true. You you and I both know him. And he just said something like that online this morning. Something like, we keep asking God for a plan, and he just keeps telling us we're loved. Mm -hmm. It's so maddening. Like, come on, God. Just give me like a couple of things. But it's so true. You know, just last week, I sat down. And I wrote something online and I had that, I had that internal check. Like it's that still voice. Mm -hmm. I know it well. And the voice said, don't do it. Mm -hmm. Don't do it. It's not the right thing. It's not the right time. You don't have the right attitude toward this. I, I knew it. Mm -hmm. I knew it. And then I talked myself out of it Mm because I can do that as well. I'm very Mm -hmm. convincing to myself Mm -hmm. and posted it. Of course. Uh, uh, naturally, immediately. Yep. Yes, the tr- the true voice of of people came back and went. This doesn't feel good, and I was like, I know. Yep. I okay, took so it Jen, down. Isn't the knowing okay? So for me, the knowing. So that first voice that that told you no, right? Yeah. That's a knowing. That's like gravity. Okay. That it doesn't even come in words. It just settles in like cement, yep. right? Exactly. And then the voice starts. So the difference, people always ask me, how do you know what's God and what's your, yourself? Yourself is just words, words, 
words. It's just the fear voice just uses arguments like a freaking lawyer, right? Mm -hmm. God doesn't, it's not words. It's just a Mm -hmm. knowing that you can't explain. It's like, I knew, I knew better. Mm -hmm. So for me, the the journey of the warrior, what Love Warrior is about, is about never again allowing that loud, incessant fear voice to drown out the still small voice. Mm, mm, I love that. I read something like that one years ago, 15 years ago from Dallas Willard, who said something along the lines of, um, the voice of the spirit does not argue. It does not try to convince you. It does not... Um, battery with words, it just speaks gently and it is self-authenticating. And I'm like, yep, like it's this right away knowing like that thing is true. That's right. That thing is right. Now, doesn't it make that thing easy ever? Ever. I'm waiting for that moment. Yay. Can can the right thing be easy for once in my life? Oh, my Lord. Um, But it is self-authenticating, like right in your gut. You're like, well, what am I supposed to do with that? I guess I'll just have to obey it. Let the chips fall where they may. And sometimes it doesn't make sense, right? That's the other thing. That's true, too. To me, this is the revolution for women. I mean, men have been kind of trained to trust themselves for their Mm. lives, right? Good point. Um, I sit with my son in in our house, and I, you know, he has friends over all the time, and we, I will go into a room of of boys and girls, and I'll say, "Um, are you guys hungry? And the boys will all go, yes, and the girls will say nothing and look at each other. Ah, uh, oh, darn it. And if that's not an example of the way men respond and the way women respond, we yeah. are, we do not know what we want anymore, right? Mm. We do, we don't even, we're not even touched with ourselves because we are consensus takers. We look outside of ourselves mm. and we ask everybody in the room, in the world, in the internet, in our church, what should I do? It's true. And then we call that God. Yeah. I can't right. tell you how many people have said to me, oh, oh, you're just fulfilling yourself. Yeah. Right. But the thing is that what is, is it more fulfilling your selfish self to look outside and ask Mm. everyone else what you should do? Mm. Or is it more, it's going inside to your deepest intuition and that place where only God speaks to you. Is that the right place to find your wisdom? Well, there's so much um, built in safety to going with the crowd. I mean, that there's an intrinsic reward to doing that from the, your, from inside the tribe. So, you know, you're going to, you're going to get back, um, approval. You're going to get back, um, a, a belonging, you know, for me, when I go against the grain, when, when I, when I listen to the outside voice and then obey it, no matter what my inside is telling me, no matter what my conviction is saying, no matter, you know, how I feel like God is actually asking me to move and lead and behave, um, when I, when I go with the outside voice again, I know that I'm going to keep, keep the currency, um, that, that, that I value so much, which is belonging. That's the thing. That's, that's the, the bargaining chip. So if, if we want to continue belonging to a certain space, then we have to toe the party line. And it's, in, it's a powerful incentive, very powerful. Like I don't mean to make light of it because a loss of belonging in any way, it's painful and it's scary and it's disorienting. And, and all of a sudden it's that sifting that you talked about earlier when a lot of things that you counted on fall away mm-hmm. and that falling away process is, it just feels like a free fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I understand why in, I mean, literally here we can fill in the blank. There are so many ways right now in which group identity is leading our culture, mm-hmm. you know, where this is, this is our group. This is our set 
beliefs and you're either in or out here. You know, we've lost all nuance. We've lost all discussion and conversation. We've lost any sort of um, value on diversity. And, you know, it's just a hard time to be alive in the in the world. So um, I get why people choose to make their inner group happy, because yep. at least we get to keep belonging. At right. least there's a place to fall. But um, And listen, Jen. For sure, this is what we we need and want and crave. But to me, there's just this chasm wide difference between fitting in and belonging. Right? Uh, that, so that's what the difference we're right there. Trying to do is fit in, and fitting in is so deadly because it means I am gonna change who I am, who God made me to be, yeah. so that I can be who you want me to be. Yeah. And then you that's slowly true. die, right? Yeah. So belonging and the only groups, I mean, the institutions run on fear, mm-hmm. on people being afraid, being more um, desperate to fit in than to be who God called them to be and yeah. to live how God lived them, uh, leads them to live, right? So, I mean, this is literally what happened to Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you want to look at what happens to you when you go against the grain of the dominant narrative in yeah. any given institution, you just look at the cross. That's right. Right. And the reason why institutions crucify people, whether it was literal in Jesus's time or where it's metaphorical in your and my time, Mm -hmm. they don't crucify us publicly on the Internet to us, for us, because I I don't care. I've already chosen to live as as God made me in particular to live. And I know it's going to go against the grain. I know it's going to cause some drama Mm -hmm. in the institution. They publicly crucify us as a message to the rest of them. Yeah. This is what will happen to you. If you um, break the norm, Mm. this is what will happen to you, right? They point to Jesus. They point to this internet article. Beware, beware. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, Jesus's message and my message and your message is just, it is better to be, to live, um, it is better to live alone Mm. outside of the tribe and true to who God called you to be than it is to be in an institution with millions and in hiding. It's true. Um, That is ringing so true into my soul. And I think there comes a point for a lot of us where we can no longer, uh, the sense of being so fractured to to sort of fit in, because you do have to be a little bit fractured. You're going to have to fracture off the parts of you that um, disagree, the parts of you that believe something different, the parts of you that understand this differently, the parts of you that look different. So it's this fractured identity. And it's, that is the worst. Mm -hmm. That is the absolute worst. That season for me was when I felt like I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. I felt like a fraud. And so, but you know what? It's, I, of course I love the metaphor, not just because it's beautiful, because it's true. One thing that I'm learning right now, sort of on the other side of, um, kind of what feels like being, you know, cast out and, and, and used as a warning, um, to a huge amount of my tribe is that there is, um, a really shocking, like never saw it coming can't believe how much better it was than I could have ever imagined resurrection on the other side. Oh, girl. So, I mean, better than, like, wait, what? Wait, there's uh, more? There's more to the story? Uh, like, there's more? There's something next? There's so I, much more. Oh, my God. I have goosebumps. I'm sitting in my chair with goosebumps. I, the the resurrection in that freedom, in that in that place where you're you're integrated again in your heart, soul, mind, um, spirit. It's like that, that's when Jesus says, I and the Father are one. 
It feels yes. like that again. Like there's no more fracture. Like I'm back in the I'm back in the flow. I'm back in the zone. Yeah. God and I are one again. I'm not hiding anymore. It's like the scripture that that most Christians translate to be perfect as God is perfect in the original Hebrew word mm-hmm. meant be whole. Yeah. Be whole as God is whole. So a life of integrity. Everybody's talking about integrity, yeah. integrity. All integrity means is integrated. Exactly. Right? So your private inside um, voice is the same as your outer voice. What you believe on the inside, you're living out on the outside. There is no more fracture. There is no more fracture. And what you find out is that, oh my God, the acceptance of millions never kept you warm at night anyway. The acceptance of uh, acceptance, acceptance and praise will never help you look in the mirror, right? Mm, You find out that you'd rather be honest and true and whole with one person than be admired by millions, right? Because, oh my God, I mean, and look. We've got Jesus. Jesus only had like 12 friends, right? That's true. And, and one and of them was awful. Terrible. Yes. And he only liked one of them. How many <laughs> times do we hear? How many times do we hear? <laughs> the one Jesus loved. The one Jesus oh. loved. One friend. One friend that did have. And we're sad when a few people on the internet hate us, right? Yeah, like, good point. We just need to be true and honest and who God made us to be. In this time, on this earth, with a few. We're only here for a minute. And you know what else is exciting about that resurrection season too and that place um, that is a wonderful surprise is that uh, all the people that have already done that work ahead of you, um, that have already paid that price and come through on the other side, they're over there. And it's a fun party. Like, oh, wait, look at all these these people who are um, telling the truth and, and being honest about what they know and don't know and um, holding space for one another with a lot of grace and dignity. And I mean, I like, I like those people. I, you know, Brene calls them, she calls out the wilderness. That's kind of her metaphor for this. Like, you know, there's sort of the safety inside the city. And then there's this like random chaotic, like bananas wilderness. And, yeah. you know, it's just didn't have any walls, it's just a hot mess, right? Just a bunch of like fire pits everywhere. Um, except it's, it's joyful and it's creative and it's, it's everyone can come to it and yeah. there's just a lot of room in it. And so, um, and it's not fear-based. It's not, well, fear-based. no, it's the wilderness for crying out loud. Yeah. Yeah. It's just out in the woods. And, and, and there's something about perfect love there because, you know, we, we know that perfect love casts out fear. It's it, it, in, in institutions where you have to stay one way or be shunned forever, where you have to think one way or be shunned forever. You are always living in fear. Yeah, that's true. But in the wilderness, you belong. You don't have to fit in. You belong. And it's not because you have the same as anybody else. It's because you're finally admitting that we are all so different and we're not going to cast anybody out for their differences. It's messier there. It's complicated. You have to ask harder questions. You You have to listen. Um, But there is this knowing that casts out fear that the way we love here. It's it's sublime, right? Mm. Instead of instead of it, it's sublime, meaning I don't love you because you you are without differences or you're without what we call flaws. I love you because of them. Mm-hmm. It's and true. And so the deeper I can get to know you, the more I will love you, and we don't have to be afraid of each other. It makes us better human beings too, because 
as as comfortable and comforting as it can feel to be in a really homogenous space and whatever that is like i'm thinking about everybody who's listening right now you you can think about your own community right now whatever wherever you 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 gather with people who are mostly all the same and there's a comfort in it um but i think we become a lot better human beings when all of a sudden that is blown up and we have people in our world speaking in ways we've never heard before with an ex- with experiences that we've never listened to before and yeah. it's just good it's good for our minds it's good for i find it um one of my favorite benefits to that person who's not afraid to be in that space is it makes us in general more generous mm-hmm. just in in every way more generous in soul in nature in welcome in community um, and, and we need it. We need more generosity in our world right now. It feels cruel right now. It feels punitive. It feels terrified, which makes us mean. You know, I think it's just scared presenting as mean. Um, and so I'm, I'm just craving, I'm craving generous people who are not afraid. The freer our people are, the better they will be. Right? Yeah. We don't have to control each other. We don't have to, I mean, well, you know, getting back to the whole Jesus thing, sister, all he did, like, the same time, the same thing was true of that time, right? Yeah. The Roman, the Romans were out there conquering people in the name of God and trying to make people like them. And Jesus and his people were like, that story is not true. Yeah. That story is not beautiful. Here's a better story. What if we just gathered all of the people that they said were out? Mm. Right. What if we just loved everybody? What if we thought, you know, Jesus asked two questions, who was religion oppressing and who was power forgetting? Mm. That's it. And then he gathered all those people to his table. And those, that became the wilderness. That became Mm -hmm. um, the new tribe. And the difference in that new tribe was that everybody was invited. Hey guys, just a quick break. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. Just want to tell you one quick little offer um, that our friends over at audible.com have for you, my listeners. So this is what Audible's offering you a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial. Just to give you the chance to check out their services if you don't already love them. They're amazing. Um, you're going to love Audible. You can get a free audiobook just for trying it out. You can check out my books over there if you want them. I recorded them both myself. It's like me reading to you. You could listen to the last one, which is For the Love, or the latest one, which is of Mess and Moxie. And if not those, there are so many other titles available over there. Um, and you could listen to any one of them for free. So here's what you do. To download your free audiobook today, you just go to audibletrial.com backslash hatmaker. That simple. Audibletrial.com backslash hatmaker for your free audiobook. Hope you love it. I can't tell you how much my heart just swells and how proud and thrilled I am just to kind of watch, um, just to watch together grow and change the world and serve the world. And I just, I'm so proud of you. Can you just talk about that a little bit for, for anybody listening that doesn't know about it? Yeah. Well, Together Rising is our nonprofit. So Together Rising, God, I don't know. It just came. So Jen, this one day I was just feeling so grateful for my community. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to open my email and just do the first thing that somebody asked me to do. Because as you know, people are always asking us to do things. (laughs) I do. So I opened up my email. There's this message from this woman who was running a a home for for homeless teenage girls in Indiana. And it said, mm-hmm. I had to turn away a 14-year-old girl last night with a baby boy because mm-hmm. um, we don't have enough funding for her to come in. So 
basically, I was like, okay, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. So I called this woman back and I said, all right, um, I'm going to give you the money to get this girl in. So how much do you need? She said, I need $88,000. And I said, okay, well, then we need a new plan. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I am going to think about this. So anyway, long story short, she and I stayed up all night. We wrote this story about her, the home that she ran and, and this girl who needed a home. And I figured out, oh my God, if this, this would be a good story. Mm-hmm. Like it, these people that I'm doing life with online, they're beautiful. And if they want, if they hear this story, they are going to want to step up and make this girl our own. And, and, um, and so anyway, I opened up the giving the next morning with a story that, that, um, that this woman and I wrote and I said, okay, we're going to get this girl in this home by tonight. Okay. And the way we're going to do that is everybody's going to give and nobody's allowed to give more than $25 because I think that people don't give because they don't think that their little donation is going to make a difference. That's not the way it works, right? It's, it's, it's the small things with great love. It's, it's the community that all comes together. So anyway, that day we had like, I don't know, $88,000, all of it in like three hours, all with $25 donations. So became what we call the love flash mob. I mean, that little Mm -hmm. girl was, they went and got her that night. They brought her to the, the home. I got to go visit them recently. Um, just, you know, gorgeous, just this idea that we actually do belong to each other. I mean, I, all this, all this, basically that turned into all the, a lot of different efforts and we are completely volunteer run. So hundred percent of everything that's given goes directly people in need. And I think we just hit $7.6 million for domestic and international, but we're really, really in the weeds with the refugee situation right now. But, um, it's, I don't, <laughs> the beauty of that is that there is a way to live in which you keep watching the news and you actually believe the story that's being told that we all hate each other and we're all mm-hmm. divided. That is not the story I live in. Mm-hmm. It's not, I don't live in it each day. I see it. I, I understand you could buy into that, but I live in a world where people take care of strangers. Yeah. And people do that, not just like me. I mean, I get all the credit for it, right? Oh, mm-hmm. look at me. I'm so good. I'm raising all this money. The people who are giving this money are giving it in the in their own homes. No one right. will ever see it. No one will know, right? They're doing it because they are good. And because true. the truest story is that we belong to each other and that um, small groups of people can literally change the world. So Absolutely. that's where that's why I'm not jaded. That's why you're not jaded. That's why we can keep showing up because there's two ways in which to live. And one is a story that we all it's dog eat dog and yeah. and, and there's a whole a much more beautiful story to live inside of too, which is legacy and yeah, together that's rising. Right. That's right. And it's possible. It is possible. Yeah. Yeah, it 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 matters who we are listening to and who we're grabbing hands with and where we spend our energy and our time and um we we can pick we get yep. to choose this. This is not happening to us. We are not victims of our own culture. No. Um, and so I, I think I like what you're saying right now that um, that's the true story. It's the good story and it's the right story. So pick it. Just choose right. it. It's just that simple. Like we, we do have the capability to unhook ourselves from the rage machine um, and, and hook into something more beautiful. It's, that's, our, that's my choice. Well, Jen, and I so, mean, 
Well, my kids and I, nobody in my family has had social media on our phones. We don't have the internet or this or social media on our phones for the last like two or three months. Nice. So anytime you see anything that I'm posting, it's something that I have written on a Word document and sent to my team and they post it. Oh, um, that sounds amazing. Because Does that feel I just, good? Um, oh, it's, I cannot even tell you. We are people who believe that the world, the world was spoken into existence, right? <gasps> Words that we take in and that we say create the worlds that we then step into. Mm. And we pick up these phones like we are cutters, mm. cutting. I mean, we know they're going to cause anxiety. We know it's all information and no wisdom. That's we true. know we know it's divisive. We know, but we pick it up and that becomes our reality. Why mm. is everybody so angry? Because everybody is staring into anger machines all day, right? You are like slicing me open right now. I want you to stop talking. We use the excuse of like, yep. oh, we have to stay informed. You're not staying informed. You're staying entertained. Mm. That's great. You, well, you, you pick up a friggin' newspaper. Read a yeah. book, right? Yeah. Like... You can be informed each day in three minutes. You do not need 13 hours. You are not getting your work done. Right. Right? Like right. It becomes this impotent temper tantrum rage that is not creative. It's good. You're right. It's not creative. There's work to be done. It's like serious times and we need wise, serious people. And the wise, serious people are not staring at their phones all day. That's good. I'm, I am, I am ingesting what you're saying like a girl drinking water who's never had a sip. I, it's true. Um, this, this year has been so contentious, um, and so enraged and so bonkers. But if that's, if that's the message that I'm taking in on the daily and not just on the daily, all day on the daily, it makes us into angry, scared people. So right. I don't and want what that. people say, Jen, is they say, oh, well, then that's just burying your head in the sand if you don't stare at oh, it all yeah. day. No, 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 no. Right. Like, that's not how this I, works. I am not saying I'm a privileged person, so I don't have to know right. what's going on. I'm saying I'm a privileged person and I'm a leader. Yeah. So I need yeah. to be using my time wisely. I need to be Good. actually creating projects and creating a plan for us to lead better. I need to use my privilege wisely staring, giving, it's, it's an easy button. Yeah. Right. It's, it's giving me an excuse not to do my work. That's right. But what's, what's away from the phones is the stillness and we don't want to be there. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, thank you for saying that and making me feel incredibly convicted. Um, I appreciate that. Also, as we talk about Together Rising, by the way, I'm just, I love it. I love you. I love Together Rising. I love what you're doing. I love where you're sending your dollars. I love how it looks. I love how it's set up. I love it all. Um, sort of birthed out of that, um, out of that space, out of that sort of approach to life, an approach to women and to community. Um, this is going to be your second your second season of the Together Tour, which mm -hmm. is amazing. I mean, talk about powerful, smart, intelligent women coming together. I mean, I, really and truly, I love who is getting to step up to the microphone. Mm -hmm. I do. I love how it's getting passed to voices that are not just white. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I'm looking in at this going, this is going to be beautiful. It's going to be strong and it's going to matter. Can you talk about it just for a second? Thank you. Yeah. I mean, the way it started was exactly what you said. I had to do another, I had to do a tour for Love Warrior <clears throat> and I sat down and said, I, can't, I hate book tours, like with a deep burning abiding passion mm -hmm. and, um, cause I just want to stay in my pajamas. Mm -hmm. And so I said, all right, the only way I'm going to do this tour is, is that if we find a way to invite people to this stage who would not 
who are not normally past the microphone. Yep. Right. Because I don't believe that we speak for the voiceless. Like, I think that's BS. There are no right. people who are voiceless. There are just people who don't have microphones. That's right. right? They have a voice. Right. Right. So, so what we ended up doing was going across the country, speaking, inviting everybody on stage that, that basically our culture at that moment was being taught to fear. Mm. Right. So we had everybody that you can imagine that's mm-hmm. othered yep. was handed a microphone and it was utterly gorgeous because- yeah. Of course, the only thing we need to do to stop fearing each other is to look at each other closely. Right. Right. Fear cannot handle proximity. So we just invited people to meet the people they'd been taught to fear. So anyway, it was utterly beautiful and and, and just transformative night. So now this year, we, oh God, I don't know. It's me and Abby um, and Lovey. Lovey. Oh my gosh, Lovey. I can't. I know. (laughs) Sweet. Uh, I I heard that. This badass Jen Hatmaker is coming in Austin. I'm going to be with you in Austin. I can't wait. All my, my dear friends are coming. Yay! My yeah. dear friend Jennifer Rudolph Walsh, who is yeah. just the – she's the literary fierce. agent of everyone that, that yeah. you know that has a big voice. She's just revolutionary. And then we've got all the badass like celebrity activists yeah. you could think of. And they're all coming for free. Like They want to yeah. just use this time to bring people together. So we've got Sophia Bush and Connie yeah. Britton and – um, I don't know. Just go look at the list. It's, yes. it's ridiculous. We have a, Alicia. I actually went to meet Alicia. I, I actually meant, went to meet some of my neighbors recently who are all migrant farm workers and doing ridiculously revolutionary things mm-hmm. to change farm workers' rights. They are now coming on tour with me. Oh, are you serious? Well, you know what? That's what happens <laughs> yep. when people are your neighbors. Yep. They just, they just need to hold their calendars loosely. Yeah. So yeah. one day I was like getting so stressed out about our culture and I was outside going, God, help me. And God kept saying, love your neighbor. And I was yeah. like, listen, I am. I'm yelling at people to love their neighbors all day. Right. That's what I do. It's right. all I do is help. And he was like, no, 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 love your neighbor. Right. God, that sounds hard. So yeah. I went to my, my next door neighbor. We, I live in a rich white neighborhood. Yeah. The next neighborhood over is poor and farm workers. Anyway, I end up making really good friends with this woman yeah. named Lupe, coolest woman I've ever met immigrant farm worker. So now she's coming on tour with me. Of course, Lupe's coming on tour with yeah. you. Um, do I get to meet her in Austin? Oh, yes. Like, she's she coming will to be all there. of them? Oh, coming I can't to wait. all 10 dates, Lupe is coming to us. <laughs> Jennifer. She should not have answered the door when you No, I know. Poor Lupe. Poor Lupe. It's going to be amazing. That's so great. Um, the Together Tour is going to be amazing. Um, just for everybody listening, I've, I've got all those links on my website. You can go to... So, okay, let's wrap it up here. Let me ask you a couple quick questions. So this is, these are just questions that we're asking everybody. And you can just, just stream of consciousness, just down okay. and dirty. What's your first reaction here? So, um, what, so this is sort of the series on Moxie, which obviously you have high. Isn't that a good word? Moxie. Oh, best. best. And of course it's paired with messy. Yes. There is no, there's no separation here. No, they're sisters, um, right? What would you say if you just were going to reach for one? It can be recent. It can be old. I don't care. But um, a, a, a moment that presented as mess. It started as mess <laughs> or it was legit bona fide mess. Um, and that you just sort of dug deep and powered through it to the other side. Oh, Jenna, it would be so hard for me because my life is just so right. tidy. perfect and tidy. tidy. Um, you know, I don't know. I guess... Uh, recently, God, coming to the, the truth of the truthiest truth I knew, which was that my marriage was over mm. and just mm. the utter 
devastation I felt that my kids would have to walk through divorce. Yes. I mean, I thought that that was the one thing that would break them, right? Hmm. And learning, you know, I look at my little one right now. Actually, I'm looking at her right now. She's Uh sitting outside this window. My sensitive one that I thought would never be able to handle this. And I realized, oh, I'm a parent who who thought that my job was to help my little girl avoid the fires of life. Hmm. That was my job, right? Because that is what our generation was sold. Totally. All we had to do as parents was just protect them from anything ever happening to them ever. Absolutely. Which is why we all feel like horrible failures, right? Yep. So I look at her right now and she walked through that and I walked through it with her Mm -hmm. and it was hard and it was brutal and there were so many tears and there were so many sleepless nights and now I look at her and she survived. Yeah. And 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 she's a child now who no longer waits for the other shoe to drop in life, right? She's Mm a she is a child now who knows that she does not have to avoid every fire in life because what she has learned is that she is fireproof. And that is what I have learned over and over again every time I've had to walk through a mess, every time I've had to walk through a fire that I thought would burn me up, that you just after a while, and you know this, Jen, Mm -hmm. after a while you just walk around going, oh my God, the secret is not that I need to figure out a way to avoid the fires. The secret is that the fire will never burn me up. Right. We just, we live. We survive. We live. Yeah. Yeah. And that fire is actually what what transforms into the fuel Mm. that allows us to get our work done on the earth, which is why the people who avoid the fires never live life on fire. Mm, It's so true. You're so good. You're such a good teacher when it comes to pain and, and using pain to live. I, I, I don't, I don't have a better teacher, honestly, who has, um, just went so directly at that idea, dismantled it fully for the lie that it is and rebuilt it on something strong. And you live it. You do. You live it. And it's a marvel to watch. Um, also, your kids are real pretty right now. Like, <laughs> it's the oldest one. I'm, he is, I, it's too much to look at him directly. Like, Isn't he's he something. He's, he's so something. cute. He just had a birthday, right? He did, and he's 15, and yeah. he, he looks like his daddy, who just happens yeah. to be the most gorgeous human on earth. He is. Um, so, so Chase, is he's been blessed with his dad's looks and his generosity, and he's hes a good guy, man. Yeah. He's so far from perfect, which is such a blessing, because all of his little quirks make him who he is. Exactly. Um, what do you think about raising a boy. teen? What do you think about having teen boys? You know, it's raining teen boys in my house. I have... I have five kids and four teenagers. So all my boys are in teens right now and I cannot get enough of them. They're delicious. I want to eat them with spoons. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I I don't have the horror stories yet. Um, Chase has been good to us. I I don't know. I I will tell you that I think that teenage parenting is lonelier Mm. than than young child parenting because when they're little, I just, they don't have any rights and you can just (laughs) ridicule them with your friend. You know, you can just talk about them till the day is done because Mm -hmm. the the experience of raising babies and toddlers is kind of so universal. Like Mm -hmm. they're all the same, you know, and there's, you know, I don't know, I guess you're less afraid of shaming them. I don't know. I just find that raising a teenager, their personalities and challenges and path is all becoming so unique to them and private and that it's harder to kind of crowdsource encouragement. I like that. And I think that a lot of people don't talk about that, that, mm-hmm. um, number one, I think parenting teens is wonderful. That's not the story I ever grew up hearing. Um, it's mostly wonderful. I mean, they're not all wonderful. Nothing mm-hmm. is They're They're messy human beings. And also that's when they really start, um, 
in mass going through heartache and struggle and pain and loss. Um, Yeah. You know, we were supposed to, that was supposed to not happen. Right. Um, Except it does. And so then it's like, it's not only dealing with our kids who are growing up and struggling like we were going to have them not do, but then it's it's confronting that we built a house on sand, you know, that, oh, I guess, I guess that whole parenting structure that I established when they were six months old was a big fat lie from the beginning. Um, so yeah, I wish we had more time to talk about that. Let's, let's put, let's put that into our next conversation because everybody talks about how to raise a baby and a Mm -hmm. toddler and a preschooler and a first grader. Mm -hmm. But I just, I mean, I'm, I'm grabbing on anything for somebody talking about raising teens and young adults. That's Gavin's in an apartment. Maybe, oh God, help us. Right. Maybe we need to like take our parenting the same way we take this whole idea of religion, right? That, that we're not trying to protect them from life, right? Yeah. That's what, that's what we think the structure of family is supposed to do, right? right? So, I, I mean, I think like in the beginning, we're trying to, we're trying to prepare them for life. And then in the, in the second part, we're just trying to get them to react to life yeah. in a way that's creative and brave and beautiful. Um, I agree with you. I, for me, I feel like they should start an "It Gets Better" campaign for parents of little kids because, Same. to me, raising oh god, once they hit seven, it's just it's it's life. It's freedom is back. I mean, I just I will take all of the emotional torture to just stop some of the physical torture of how exhausting the small ones are. I I um I, I was so in the weeds when they were all babies and toddlers and preschoolers that I honestly don't remember it. I'm glad that I took some pictures because I don't remember a thing of it. It was well, just... that's, that's the universe being kind. Right. <laughs> so, so hard. <laughs> it's so hard, baby mamas. Oh my I know. gosh. And when so they come hard. to our events, Jen, they're like holding their babies, looking at us for wisdom. I'm like, you don't, you're not in the time for wisdom. Dear God, like take a nap. Don't listen to the words that I am saying. This is no time to learn. Oh, gosh. Okay. That's amazing. Okay. Last question. Um, do you read Barbara Brown Taylor at all? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I love her so. You know what she, what she asked, um, and I'd love for you to answer it too. What's saving your life right now? Mm, I mean, I'd answer the way that, that I'd probably been answering since I was three years old. I, right now, my sister, oh, she's sorry. literally saving my life. Literally, She's been my... Yes shelter my entire life, right? She was born when I was three. I do not know how I survived for three years without her. Um, She is the one who's my safe place to go. I think she's love because love is this dual and both thing where it's just fully and totally accepting of who you are while also somehow inviting you to be braver and bolder. Yeah. And it's not a control, you know, it's an invitation that like is always there. And you know, if you never take it, you're okay with that Mm. person. I mean, she's the one who, she's the one who, um, just, she was such a safe place for me to land when I was going through my divorce mm-hmm. and falling in love with Abby. Mm-hmm. Um, she just blazed the path before me and mm-hmm. just dared anybody to get in my way because she saw me mm-hmm. coming into the truest version of myself for the first time. So um, I would say sisters. She's a treasure. My life. Yeah. She really is. And she's fierce. Like, I love her and I'm a tiny bit afraid of her. So I wouldn't, oh, well, of course. I wouldn't cross her. Like, of course. I, I mean, I get to be me. Side. 
Yes. I get to be me because my sister is her. Yes. That's right. <laughs> right? I get to be love and light yes. because if you don't love me back, my sister will kick your ass. <laughs> That's so true. Oh, oh, I love her. I love your people. I love you. I love you. And I love your kiddos. And please give Brandon a hug for me. And we need to all get together in real life soon, please. We're going to. You're coming to my city and I'm going to sit on a stage with you and we will laugh and we will laugh and we will laugh. I can't wait. Um, And so I can't wait. Okay, sister. So much love to you. Love you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Amazing. I wrote down three things. Um, from that conversation that I am really going to think about. The first of which is social media intake and having it available on my phone. And I don't like what that's doing in me right now. I, I have this low simmering like rage and that's not my, that's not even my natural way. So even as she was saying that, I just felt like she was reading my cards, that she was reading my mail. Um, so I, I think that's wise. I'm, I'm, I'm drawn to so many things that she said, and I hope you were too. Listen, all the things that we talked about today, I'll have over on my website at jenhatmaker.com. I'll have Glennon's speaking schedule and all those links. I'll have her books, um, links to Monastery and Together Rising. If you've never been a part of a flash mob for Together Rising, you've got to be a part of the next one. It is so exciting to watch it happen just minute by minute, hour by hour, just to watch those numbers climb into astronomical amounts, all just giving little bits at a time. Anyway, it's so fun. You're going to want to be a part of that because it's just such a good way to serve our neighbors and to serve the world. And so um, thanks for joining joining me this week. I hope you're liking the series. I originally thought the series was going to be five. And now it's at 10. (laughs) Uh, I have too many women in my life with too much moxie. And so um, I just, I felt like we needed more of their voices, more of their stories, more of their experiences. And so uh, we're going to keep at this for the love of moxie until I feel done with it. So um, thanks for joining us every week. Thanks for your great feedback. We love hearing from you. Um, We read all of your um, responses. We love that you're subscribing. Thank you. Um, It's just a, I love this. I love this space. Um, This is my favorite new thing with you. So guys have a super week and um, next week we're just, we're going to keep our foot on the gas on this series. You're not going to want to miss it every week. I promise you, you're going to walk away um, with something. So um, have a great one, you guys, and I'll meet you back here next week. Thanks for joining us today on the For the Love podcast. Tune in next week when we sit down again with Jen and friends to chat about all the things we love. Love you, our listeners. So we want to be sure you subscribe to For the Love with Jen Hatmaker via iTunes or your favorite podcast provider so you don't miss a thing. And if you have a minute, please leave us a review. To become a part of Jen's online community, visit jenhatmaker.com and sign up for her newsletter. It's full of all the things you love, including free stuff. We love free stuff. Thanks for listening and see you next time on For the Love with Jen Hatmaker.